Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded. But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh. Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Iran-Contra scandal transfixed Washington for most of 1987 and renewed a struggle as old as the Republic between the president and Congress. The Iran-Contra affair was the biggest scandal of Ronald Reagan's presidency. It was not the easiest one to understand. The Reagan administration's determination to sell arms secretly to Iran and to help guerrillas fighting the Marxist government of Nicaragua despite congressional objections was the engine that drove the Iran-Contra policy. But it had some wonderful characters. I don't think it was wrong. I think it was a neat idea. There was Oliver North, the lieutenant colonel who devised the scheme and then covered it up. I will tell you right now, counsel, and all the members here gathered, that I misled the Congress. There was a seemingly endless stream of prosecutions and congressional hearings. And there was one question every American wanted to know. What did President Ronald Reagan know about the arms for hostages deal? And when did he know it? Once I realized I hadn't been fully informed, I sought to find the answers. Some of the answers I don't like. The president insisted that he did not know about the scheme. And none of the investigations found that he did. The committee's final report went further. It said the ultimate responsibility for the events in the Iran-Contra affair must rest with the president. If the president did not know what his national security advisors were doing, he should have. Most Americans found the president's denials implausible, especially in light of the fact that the two-year secret campaign had been organized by his closest White House advisors. Was Reagan really that forgetful? Was he lying to the American people? Or was there more to the story? Welcome back to Flashback. I'm Sean Braswell. In this special bonus episode, we return to the Iran-Contra scandal and one very fateful presidential surgery. It turns out there may have been a good reason why President Reagan's memory was so hazy about the decision to sell arms to Iran, or at least a more benign reason. And it's one that starts with something potentially malignant.
That something was a large polyp that the president's doctors discovered on his lower right colon during a routine colonoscopy on July 12, 1985. Reagan was rushed into surgery the very next morning at Bethesda Naval Medical Center in Maryland to remove the growth. Before he was put to sleep, Reagan invoked the 25th Amendment, transferring the powers of the presidency temporarily to Vice President George Bush. Reagan was wheeled into the operating room with his wife Nancy holding his hand around 11.15 that morning. In typical Reagan fashion, he joked with his doctors. Referring to the previous day's colonoscopy, he mused, After what you did yesterday, this ought to be a breeze. The three-hour surgery was successful. Doctors removed two feet of Reagan's lower intestine, in addition to the two-inch growth, which a biopsy showed to be cancerous. George Bush remained acting president until after 7 p.m. that evening, while Reagan remained under the effects of the anesthesia. My fellow Americans, I'm talking to you today from a little makeshift studio just outside my room in Bethesda Naval Hospital. The president spent a week recovering at the hospital. First off, I'm feeling great, but I'm getting a little restless. A lot of you know how it is when you have to endure some enforced bed rest. You get this feeling that life's out there and it's a big shiny apple and you just can't wait to get out and take a bite of it. The president had a jovial spirit, but at age 74, he was not a young man. He was in pain, he had trouble eating, and he suffered through several sleepless nights. And, unfortunately, events outside the hospital did not wait for his recovery. Prior to the president's surgery, several Americans had been taken hostage by the terrorist group Hezbollah. Let it be clearly understood that the seven Americans still held captive in Lebanon must be released, along with other innocent hostages from other countries. The United States gives terrorists no rewards and no guarantees. We make no concessions. We make no deals. A few days after the president's cancer surgery, however, Reagan's national security advisor, Bud McFarlane, approached him with a deal in his hospital bed. McFarlane was told that Iran would help secure the release of seven U.S. hostages held by Hezbollah in return for the sale of arms. McFarlane later claimed that President Reagan approved the arms for hostages exchange in the hospital, responding, Gee, that sounds pretty good. Once the media learned of the deal, Reagan was soon on the hot seat. Mr. President, you have stated flatly and you stated flatly again tonight that you did not trade weapons for hostages. And yet the record shows that every time an American hostage was released, there had been a major shipment of arms just before that. Are we all to believe that was just a coincidence? Chris, the only thing I know about major shipments of arms, as I've said, everything that we sold them could be put in one cargo plane and there would be plenty of room left over. The president's muddled denials strained credulity and hurt his credibility. Sir, if I may, the polls show that a lot of American people just simply don't believe you. But the one thing that you've had going for you more than anything else in your presidency, your credibility, has been severely damaged. Can you repair it? What does it mean for the rest of your presidency? Well, I imagine I'm the only one around who wants to repair it, and uh, I didn't do have anything to do with dis- if damaging it. Did the president really have nothing to do with it? Reagan undoubtedly knew what his advisors had done by the time he started to stonewall the press about it. But there's a good chance he truly had no recollection of authorizing the arms for hostages deal. A political scientist at Northeastern University named Robert Gilbert investigated this issue, conducting interviews of key medical personnel surrounding the president. 
Gilbert told me that Reagan had trouble remembering the meeting with McFarlane in the hospital had ever occurred, much less the substance of it, and that such a memory lapse is common after a surgery involving high doses of painkillers, particularly in older patients like Reagan. These past nine months have been confusing and painful ones for the country. I know you have doubts in your own minds about what happened in this whole episode. Reagan addressed the nation on television after the Iran-Contra hearings in Congress finished in 1987. He remained evasive about what had really happened. Our original initiative rapidly got all tangled up in the sale of arms, and the sale of arms got tangled up with hostages. Who knows what a clear-headed Ronald Reagan would have done had he made the arms for hostages decision in the Oval Office, rather than Bethesda Hospital. Perhaps his biggest mistake was not invoking the 25th Amendment for longer, while he recovered from major surgery. As Professor Gilbert argues, Reagan's decision to resume his presidential duties so quickly after his surgery contributed substantially to the most damaging episode of his presidency. The Iran-Contra affair not only hurt his popularity at the time, but also his standing in history. And there was very little even a great communicator like Reagan could do about it. Flashback is written and hosted by me, Sean Braswell, senior writer and executive producer at Aussie. It was edited by Maeve McGoran and produced by Tracy Moran and Iorio Digiziwa. Chris Hoff engineered our show. Make sure to subscribe to Flashback on the iHeartRadio app or listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring bit. out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. 
Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.